Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa. So sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. John G makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Johnji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to johnji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at johnji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country— the truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hey, Nate Hedgie. Hey, Taylor Quimby. So I want to take you back to 1990. Um, this is the World Cup semifinal, England versus West Germany, and the score is tied. So it will go down as a 1-1 draw, this semifinal, and someone will lose on the penalty shootout and go to Rome. Tens of millions of people across the UK are watching live when England midfielder Chris Waddle steps up to take a shot. And if he does not score, West Germany will win the game. Here goes Waddle. Oh, there! It's West Germany! Over the net. Waddle. And England's dreams of emulating their achievements of 1966 ended by penalty failure. Guess what happened next in the UK? I'm imagining people printing t-shirts with Chris Waddle's face on it and a big slash through it. That probably happened, but I mean like literally <laughs> what happened next is that moments after this goal, electricity usage in the UK surged by 2,800 megawatts as somewhere over one million angry Brits all went into the kitchen and turned on an electric tea kettle at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to the English to angrily make tea. So uh, there's actually a name for this phenomenon. It is mm -hmm. called TV pickup. I've also heard it referred to as the Great British Kettle Surge. And <laughs> even though it's happening less now because so much TV is on demand, it does happen after live events like the World Cup quarterfinals in 2002, during the royal wedding of Prince William and Kate in 2011, And actually, it happens after every popular British soap opera ends. In the UK, people knew that when a soap opera ended, 
everyone would get up and make a cup of tea with an electric kettle. So this is David Rolnick, uh, a computer scientist at McGill University in Canada. And that would lead to a 10% spike in electricity consumption. Wow, really? That's so specific. It's extremely specific <laughs> and quite quite a large effect. I want a truth. Now, was it Mark or was it Steve? Steve! Steve had nothing to do with it! All right, Mark, then. No! Something you should know about electricity is that we only want to generate about as much as we actually need at any given time, right? If you, mm-hmm. if you don't have enough, you have blackouts and power outages. But if you feed too much power into the grid, wires will sag and overheat, transformers can blow up. Wow. Yeah. In order to run a power grid, you need to know how much power people are using and how much power is available. Both of those things are hard to predict. So David says that there is this whole industry devoted to predicting supply and demand of electricity. It's like a forecast, and Mm -hmm. forecasters have to factor in economics. They've got to think about business, the weather. Wow. As the sun went behind a cloud or the, the wind changed, all of your solar and wind power would change with it. And you have to factor in human behavior like the great British kettle surge. Previously people would have schedules of television programs to work out when people were going to be consuming power. They would be sending each other faxes with their guesses as to what would happen with spikes in electricity demand. I haven't sent a fax in a very, very long time. But actually, this is pretty serious business because, you know, better energy forecasts um, might help us cut back on fossil fuel usage. But also... People's lives are at stake. If you make the wrong forecast... The electrical grid goes down, and people die. Sounds like kind of a stressful job. And hard. All of which uh, will either make you relieved or concerned to find out that this is one of many problems related to energy and climate that is increasingly being handed over to AI. So this is the kind of thing that is now being automated. Artificial intelligence. And the UK recently instituted an AI-based algorithm for forecasting electricity demand. And that has led to a 40% lower error in demand forecasts. Oh, AI for the win. I feel like we never hear stories about, like, good AI. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, keep listening. We'll see where it goes. Artificial intelligence, the new technology that's already here, it can solve complex problems. State school students can no longer use an artificial intelligence program in the classroom with fears it promotes cheating. He's spoken out saying that AI could manipulate or possibly figure out a way to kill humans. You believe they can understand? Yes. You believe they are intelligent? Yes. Artificial intelligence is all over the news these days. To some, this explosive growth in technology promises to revolutionize the way we live and work. Others see it as an existential threat, the literal robot apocalypse. But what if the threat of AI isn't quite as sensational as that? Today on Outside In, we're asking a different question. Will AI help us fight climate change, or will it accelerate the forces already pushing us to the brink. Producer Taylor Quimby here has been talking to some experts and he's got five big takeaways. I think it's five. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard, you know, when you're writing and you're like, am I on four or five? He's got a few real big takeaways. (laughs) Stay tuned. So, Nate, 
one thing that's been driving me bananas lately is that people seem mm-hmm. to be lumping a lot of different technologies under the same AI umbrella. Like we're talking about it all the time. Yeah. I don't know that we know what we're talking about. No, it's like, I think it's like when people were talking about the internet in 1995. Yeah, the field of AI is older than uh, chat GPT. Again, this is David Rolnick, who, aside from being a professor, is also co-founder of a nonprofit called Climate Change AI. For a long time, people have thought of AI as something fancy and futuristic. AI just means any computer algorithm that makes predictions or labels things And that can be very low tech. So we've had the AI probably for a long time. Exactly. The chess app on your computer, Mm. spell check programs like Grammarly, those use AI. Yeah. Um, AI can sound like this. Sorry, I didn't quite get that. Watson on Jeopardy. Yeah. Watson. What is clock? Clock is correct. And with that, you move up to 22. My Gmail is gets organized into like focused and then spam. That's probably AI, right? That is exactly AI. So when people are talking about AI these days, you know, I think uh, they might be talking about this broad group of technologies. They might be talking about the science fiction ideas, you know, where computers gain consciousness. A singular consciousness that spawned an entire race of machines. And now a lot of times they're also talking about this specific new generation of programs like ChatGPT and MidJourney that we call generative AI. AI software called MidJourney. It's one of several image rendering programs used by millions. But these are different AI algorithms. AI refers to things as diverse as mammal refers to both elephants and mice. So here's my first takeaway, Nate. When you're talking about AI, make sure you know what it is that you're actually talking about because these differences really matter. Okay. So, Nate, we already talked about energy forecasts. I want to give another example of a sort of lower tech tool that uses Mm -hmm. AI to help solve climate problems. Okay. There is a branch of AI called computer vision, which focuses on processing images. So, you know, when you take a picture and your phone can tell whether it's a picture of your dad or a picture of your three-legged dog, Gilly? Yeah. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So that's made possible with computer vision. This is the technology being used by self-driving cars to tell the difference between a person and a lamppost. It, it is also something that can be used to look through satellite data to create special flood maps. Now, technically, what's going on is that you give the computer a loose set of instructions and you give it a lot of data. That data comes with labels where somebody has gone through An expert has said, this is a flood, this is not a flood, this is a forest, this is not a forest. And the algorithm picks out patterns that can help predict those labels and then uses those same patterns on new data where there are no labels. It seems like the perfect technology for insurance companies to figure out like, okay, are we going to give this house home insurance if it's been built in this floodplain. And that's in the long term. I think on the, like, the very fast-acting, urgent basis, um, the UN has a satellite imagery center called uh, UNISAT. UNISAT has adopted AI algorithms that take imagery of areas that have been flooded and find out exactly where disaster response teams should go in. Oh, so this is like real time. That's the clutch part of AI. 
Very cool. These are already deployed or they're already being used and they're already helping people uh, around the Indian Ocean monsoon season. Wow. So there are lots of examples of AI tools like this. Very specific algorithms designed to do a very specific job really well and really fast. And they aren't capable, by the way, of starting a robot apocalypse any more than your TI-84 calculator is capable of, <laughs> say, whipping up an egg souffle. I, by the way, I would watch a movie if it was TI-84 graphing calculators taking over the world. I would watch that. <laughs> but the point is... Tools like this can and are helping us lower factory emissions, monitor biodiversity and prevent extinctions. Uh, they can be used to research and build better batteries. This is big. People talked about big data for years before they had anything to do with the data. And now we have AI tools that actually allow us to use that data for positive applications. So all this together, this is takeaway number two. AI is already a really powerful tool in the fight against climate change. But close on its heels is takeaway number three, which is that these same AI technologies can be used to exacerbate climate change as well. For every time you see a tech company promoting some new green use of its algorithms, it is also working on massively profitable algorithms to help accelerate oil and gas. And this is not small. It's estimated that it's going to lead to half a trillion dollars in additional profit for the oil and gas industry just by 2025, with as much as a 5% production boost. So explain this to me, Taylor. Okay, so... All three of the big cloud computing companies, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, they all have contracts with major oil companies. Mm -hmm. And if I can, for example, use specifically tailored AI tools to make emergency flood maps or make a factory more energy efficient, fossil fuel companies can also use their own specifically tailored AI tools to, say, increase the efficiency of oil exploration hmm. or uh, to create, quote unquote, smart pipelines that can move oil or gas faster or with less maintenance or downtime. Does, does all that make sense? Yes. Yeah. It's not becoming more efficient at like keeping fossil fuels in the ground or curbing greenhouse gas emissions. It's becoming more efficient and getting more of it out. Yeah. And eventually into our atmosphere. Even if it's even if it's like more efficient paper usage, it is saving them dollars and making them more profit. Yes. You know? <laughs> it kind of comes back to that same paradox. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Another way we see AI being used that's making climate change worse is in online advertising. AI is behind almost all of the advertising that you see. And in some cases, that advertising is designed to increase consumption. Consumption of resources, consumption of energy... And we don't know what effect that is having, but you better bet it is huge. So what I'm what I'm getting to is that like all of these cool AI tools, they're making everything. It's like that song, like better, faster, stronger, and <laughs> you know what I mean. And so that like yeah, it might help in certain ways, but in other uh -huh. ways, it's just the opposite. Coming up, we are going to talk about the stuff that is all over the news. Generative AI. 
how much energy does ChatGPT actually consume, and how else might it factor into climate change. But first, we want to know, are you using AI? Are, are you a researcher who uses AI in your work, a student using it for school? Are you like my mom and you're using it to write newsletters for work? <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I, I did tell her about ChatGPT and she got very excited. Are you an AI optimist or do you think the end is nigh? Email us your thoughts at outsidein at nhpr.org or you can join our private Facebook group and add to the conversation there. We'll be back in a minute. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. This is Outside In. I'm your host, Nate Hedgie, here with producer Taylor Quimby. All right, so what, what should I search here? Write me five bad boomer jokes about podcasts. Yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> well, it gives you a little warning first. Please keep in mind that these jokes are meant to be in good fun and not to offend. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, ChatGBT. Okay, Nate, uh, why did the boomer refuse to start a podcast? <laughs> I don't know. Why? Because he thought a pod was something you plant in the backyard. <laughs> That's... That's pretty mean. <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> if you think that's bad... <laughs> number two. How does a boomer listen to podcasts? How? He tries to stick his cassette player into the USB port and wonders why it won't fit. You know... <laughs> Boomers aren't technologically illiterate, chat GBT. When I typed that in, I meant jokes by boomers, not about boomers. <laughs> Jeez. Since last year, people have been freaking out about chat GPT, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Freaking out. Mm -hmm. Myself included, if I'm being honest. It is one of a new generation of AI-based chatbots um, that are built from what the techno nerds call large language models or LLMs. LLMs. These are machine learning algorithms that are just fed staggering amounts of data. And what comes out on the other end is a chatbot that can sound, you know, pretty intelligent, pretty <laughs> creative, and surprisingly human. Um, but one thing that I've been wondering is how much energy it takes to feed these programs all that data. And I am not the only one asking that question. My name is Karen Howe, and I am a contributing writer to The Atlantic covering artificial intelligence. When did you first, in your reporting, 
start thinking about or hearing about the energy cost of AI? So I was actually the uh, I was the one that broke the first major story on this particular thing. It was uh, a researcher named Emma Strubble who was doing a PhD at University of Massachusetts Amherst, who did a paper um, that was looking at the energy intensity of what were then considered large language models. Now they're considered like tiny potatoes compared to what are now considered large language models. But that was at the time of GPT-2. GPT-2, which none of us played Mm -hmm. with, this was back in 2019 before, you know, I would say the public at large was caring at all about this subject. Oh, yeah. Um, And the finding was for a particular model that used a particular type of training method that Google was known to commonly use, that training a single model would uh, emit as much um, carbon as potentially the lifetime carbon emissions of five cars. Five cars? Huh, not that big. The problem is, the past few years, they've been building these large language models larger and larger and larger. People measure this by uh, what they call parameters, which is basically like the number of variables fed in to one of these algorithms, right? GPT-2 was 1.5 billion parameters. GPT-4 is reportedly estimated to be around 1.8 trillion parameters. That's an amazing amount of growth. So that first estimate about the lifetime emissions of five cars, that number is now got to be way, 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 way bigger. But the real problem is that AI companies are not being very transparent about how much energy it takes to train these huge AI models. So we don't know what the number is now. But another way that people like Karen are trying to figure it out is by looking at cost. The CEO of Anthropic, one of OpenAI's competitors, said at an event publicly that models are around $100 million to train right now. And he sees in the next year it'll be around a billion. And in the next year it'll be around like 10 billion. That's the only kind of general proxy that we have right now for truly understanding how energy intensive these are because that the the cost of these models is purely the energy bill it's the electricity costs for paying for these things to run all of the data centers that are uh, crunching the numbers and Nate all this time we've just been talking about the energy it takes to make the AI now you have to actually factor in the energy from consumers who are using it in the case of ChatGPT. Uh, which has been available to the public for just over a year, we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 million users. Oh, wow. So we're talking heavy energy use. Do we know how much? So there are all sorts of smart folks trying to do some back-of-the-napkin math on the Internet to try and figure that out. Uh, And I've seen estimates that say ChatGPT searches may use as much as 30,000 households per day. Um, Another one that said as much as 175,000 people per month. Ultimately, all this is very unreliable because OpenAI and the other companies behind ChatGPT, like I said, they're just not being transparent and telling researchers what they need to be able to do the math. But again, it's not so much the number now that's the problem. It's what will happen if these huge AI models continue to grow and get used by more and more people. And by the way, tech companies are definitely planning on that being the case. There's so many layers of, um, of environmental impacts that are sort of hidden and not really 
um, visible to the average consumer that might just be like searching things on ChatGPT. Karen told me that Microsoft has told investors they want to spend $50 billion building new data centers just next year to support the future of AI. The data center itself, you need the concrete to build the data center, which has a huge embodied carbon in it. And then they're running not just the electricity to power it, but you need um, electricity and water to cool the things because they overheat and they start melting if you don't cool them. And all of these companies have climate commitments. They have sustainability commitments and very ambitious ones where they've set targets to be uh, like carbon neutral by 2030 or carbon negative by 2030 and water neutral or water positive by 2030. Um, And it just seems to me because there is no transparency and no accountability around what actually the numbers are, we don't actually have any way of auditing right now whether they will meet their climate commitments in 2030. And just to make something clear, Nate, uh, the targeted types of AI tools we talked about earlier, the UN flood maps and stuff like that, they do not have this kind of footprint. This is a problem for these huge generative AI models, mostly. It just, it feels like this is one of those moments where it would be great if as a culture, we could just stop for a second and be like, do we really need this? You know, like we were doing all right before generative AI came to help us write better emails and (laughs) search, right? Well, and and especially because a lot of people that, I mean, you know, around me, the people using ChatGPT are just playing with it. It's like a meme generator. Exactly. We're just using it to create weird art. (laughs) So this is takeaway number four. The bigger our AI models and the more consumers that use them, the larger the likelihood is that AI will become a serious source of carbon emissions. Hmm. Okay, so Nate, there's a lot of movies and books where AI become so advanced that it threatens all of humanity, right? We're talking Terminator, The Matrix. Matrix. Um, uh, that movie Singularity that flopped. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a big bad in films for at least like three decades. Yeah, but climate change AI co-founder David Rolnick, he thinks that we're missing the bigger point, or in this case, I guess the smaller point, because he's worried that AI is going to contribute to an information ecosystem that's already bad for climate action. I do want to also note that I am frustrated by the way in which the discourse surrounding risks of AI has shifted um, to focus on large-scale, hypothetical, and even existential risks from AI. And I've even seen comparisons between AI as a danger and climate change as danger, which are fundamentally wrong. The kinds of risks that are most relevant from AI are big, but they are prosaic. They are surveillance. They are bias. They are misinformation. They are the degradation of democratic structures or use of AI to perpetuate and exacerbate systemic inequities. Preaching to the choir. (laughs) One of the kept saying, amen, 
Amen. <laughs> Which gets me to my final takeaway. Um, I said the AI is a powerful tool in the fight against climate change. It is. But we have to be really careful, especially in the coming years, that those tools aren't being used as a distraction by people that would prefer us to look the other way when it comes to the not-so-good stuff. And it can also be used deliberately to facilitate greenwashing. Look at how climate-conscious we are. We designed a new chatbot. Or look at how climate-conscious we are. We are doing this thing that isn't actually useful, but is accelerated by AI. Are there examples of that already? Like, have you seen this? I do not want to single particular examples out. But yes, of course, there are examples. You will mm. probably see many of them at the UN Climate Change Conference. Point those fingers, man. Like, <laughs> I want to hear <laughs> who's, who's doing this. Spill the yeah, tea. Yeah, give it. Spill the tea. Exactly. It is perhaps worth noting that the head of the UN Climate Change Conference this year is also the head of the state oil company of the UAE. And so there is definitely some interest in focusing on climate solutions that don't involve actually changing business as usual with respect to the fossil fuel industry. Just going to say that again real quick. The head of COP28, the United Nations Climate Conference this year, he is also the head of the state-run oil company for the United Arab Emirates. And he is already in some hot water for saying he's against phasing out fossil fuels, which seems contradictory. Um, but you know what he's bullish about? Artificial intelligence. In these cases, new technologies can sound like a great idea, even if they don't actually provide the answers to the hard choices that society needs to make. It reminds me a little bit of um, the search for happiness. In that, like, there's there's so much literature out there about how to be happy. Mm -hmm. And I've looked through it, and I'm always like, oh, you know what? I know this. I know, <laughs> I know what the answers kind of are. Yeah. It's just uh -huh. hard to do them. It's like, connect with other human beings, get good exercise, sleep well. Yeah. <laughs> All things that can be tough to do. Yeah. Exactly. We know what the answers are. It's just we keep trying... We just keep trying to build away our problems. We, we want the easy answer. Yes. And something like ChatGPT promises the easiest answers of all. I cannot tell you how tempted I am to ask ChatGPT how to solve the climate change problem. But I know what it's going to tell me. What is it going to tell you? It's going to tell us to get off fossil fuels. Yeah. Or if it doesn't, then that's, a, that's an even bigger problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, human. I think what you should do is extract more oil. Get off of fossil fuels, except when it comes to creating my server farms. <laughs> so that is it for today's episode. If you want to read more about the energy costs of AI or some other great pieces about AI and climate, you can check out the link in our show notes. And, you know, we've also been talking a lot about AI in our own work. We, on the show, use an AI-based transcription service. We've been doing this for years. I think it's pretty uncontroversial. Um, mm -hmm. But lately, we've also been using an AI-based audio filtering tool. Otherwise, this interview with David that sounded like this... One, two, three, four, five, six... Would have sounded like this. One, two, three, four, five, six... Which, I don't know. 
I don't know. You know, <laughs> I think it sounds better. Well, we've also we've also played with this this AI audio filtering tool, and it can make people sound very, I guess, AI ish, robotic, <laughs> very, yeah. very robotic. Yeah. So we're learning to to tweak it a little bit. But what do you think? Uh, how are you using AI? And do you think it's okay for journalists to use tools like this audio filtering tool or, or ChatGPT even? We'll be sure to put your thoughts into our upcoming free newsletter, which you can sign up for at OutsideInRadio.org. This episode was produced, reported, and mixed by Taylor Quimby. It was edited by Rebecca Lavoy. Special thanks to Sajad Mazeni, also to Angel Shu, who spoke to me for this story but wound up on the cutting room floor. She discovered that ChatGPT uh, had some dubious answers to questions about climate change and wound up designing her own AI chatbot to combat climate misinformation. It is called ChatNet Zero. And uh, get this, it's very cool. When you ask it a question, the chatbot actually provides references for where it gets its answer, Nate. Oh, that's way better than ChatGPT right now. It is. I like I like footnotes. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of NHPR. Why do millennials love podcasts so much? Why? Because it's the only time they can listen to someone talk without being interrupted by their smartphone notifications. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even true. (laughs) It's not even true. This this took a supercomputer to come up with. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at stearnsandfoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.